So I really, I just want to get into it. I felt led to read part of the Christmas story, which is Jesus' birth. So if you have your Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 1, or you can just look at the screen. I'm just going to go ahead and start reading Matthew chapter 1. Now it says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now I want to look at the word betrothed. Leave that verse on the screen uh, the word betrothed was a, a Jewish idea. It was actually um, Jewish engagement. So whenever a man and a woman or a young man, young woman would come together uh, to get married, there was a season called the betrothal season or engagement season, which was about a year long. And so the Jewish law, though, once you were engaged, the Jewish law considered you married. Now, that's important because we're going to read in the story in just a second. So Mary and Joseph are engaged, but before they can consummate the marriage, we all know how that happens, they had to wait one year. So what happened? I want to read the verse again just in that context. When Mary, his mother Mary, had been engaged or betrothed to Joseph in the Jewish law, in Jewish law's eyes, they were married. Before they were together at the end, before they were together intimately, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. What, is it, what am I trying to say? She was pregnant before they came together intimately. Somebody say, uh-oh. Okay. There's, all right. If you were engaged, we won't go down that road. Um, verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just, or another word for just, is righteous man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. It says that Joseph, although he was a righteous man, decided to divorce her. I can just imagine their conversation. They're talking about what happened. Mary said, hey, this, um, this angel visited me, said I was going to get pregnant, and, you know, and, and this is what happened. This is, this is why I... I'm, I'm, I'm here talking to you, and Joseph, I can imagine saying, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure you thought it was the Holy Spirit. Probably felt like the Holy Spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. Something is going on here. And so Joseph decided to divorce her. I want to point out something, though. It says that he was a just, righteous man. Look at the verse again. He was a righteous man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. I'm going to say something um, that might shock you at first, but righteous people cover sin. Righteous people cover sin. I'm not saying, listen very carefully because this can really be taken out of context. I'm not saying righteous people hide sin. They cover sin because whenever the Lord convicts us of sin, we have an opportunity to repent and to, and to pour out our heart and say, God, please forgive me. Make whatever wrongs we did, make them right, and ask God to forgive us. And so I'm not saying we hide sin. I'm not saying we hide sin. But whenever, and, and there are instances where we can help others with their sin. But what I'm saying is we as believers are not to uncover sin so as to bring shame or embarrassment. Because here's something you need to know about what Joseph's options were. Joseph found out that she was pregnant under Jewish law. He had the right to have her stoned and killed. 
And if he didn't do that, he, could, he had the right, obviously, to divorce her. And if he divorced her publicly, it would be very likely that she could not get married again and therefore die a single woman with a baby. On the, with a baby. And, of course, the baby would grow up. And, she would, and once she got old enough, she would be kicked out of her mother and father's house. And so she had to provide for her child alone. But without a husband, without a means of income, it would be very likely that they wouldn't survive. Right, uh, Joseph, though, decided to righteously cover the sin. And this is what we as believers do. We do not uncover sin and broadcast sin, but we cover sin and love people. Now, if you were in Joseph's shoes, what would you have done? If somebody hurt you or violated your trust to that degree, what would you do? Would you run to Facebook? Would you run to your friends and just start telling everybody what had happened to you? What did Joseph do? There's this saying, and y'all are all familiar with it, the truth always comes out. Anybody? How many of y'all have said that before? I'm going to ask you a question. Is that statement accurate? Is it? How many, how many of y'all have sinned before and you cried out to God in repentance and he covered your sin and didn't let it come to the light? I remember years ago, God was de- dealt with me concerning this one thing. Somebody had wronged me and I was mad and I was about to make it public. And the Lord said, how would you like if I made your sins public? And he said, for those who repent... And those who humble themselves before the Lord, he said, sometimes and many times, I will cover their sin. He says, instead of saying the truth will always come out, say this, God will be just. Because if we repent and humble ourselves and truly are broken, like in Psalms 51, day was broken with the sin, uh, about his sin with Bathsheba. If we truly break our heart, God will cover our sin. But if we continue to take advantage of his grace and his mercy, eventually God will say, okay, I, because I love you, I'm going to have to get it through your head some way because I don't want to lose you to the enemy and to hell one day. Mm-hmm. So Joseph, because he chose righteousness, covered Mary's sin. Just wanted to point that out. Verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It's it's from me. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This is a prophecy that he quotes Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name, what is it? Emmanuel, which means God with us. I had no idea that we were going to be singing these songs at the beginning about champion. He's within us. He's with us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, means they didn't come together intimately until she had given birth, and he called his name Jesus. The main reason we are here today is because we are celebrating the birth of a baby that was born 2,000 years ago. Because he was born, redemption was made possible. Amen? 
Our sins are able to be forgiven because of his perfect sinless life that he lived in our place because we couldn't live it. And he made a way for us to go to heaven one day. But the one thing I really felt led to emphasize this afternoon is that God is not just sitting in heaven somewhere. He's not just existing in the supernatural and in a different dimension or another realm. Because Jesus came, he made it possible for us to have a personal relationship with God again. That is an amazing thing. And it, it can be hard for us to believe sometimes because we don't see God. We don't see Jesus. But when Jesus left, he sent the Holy Spirit, which is his spirit, not just to live among us, but to live within us. God is with us. Matthew 28 19 through 20, I'm going to read just verse 20, says this, Teaching them to observe all that have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are never, ever alone. For many, the holidays can be very hard. Why? Because they are a reminder of who is no longer here with us. Is that right? What was once a season of anticipation, maybe living in different cities, different towns, different schedules, what was once a season of anticipation of coming together with loved ones is now a time of dread because you're reminded of who is no longer here. I was at the bank the other day, and I hardly ever go to the teller. I'm, I, you know, I'm so thankful at Chase. They have those little ATM machines. I usually do all my banking there. But I had to go to the teller, and I, we were just making small talk, and I said, hey, are you ready for Christmas? And she said, I'm ready for Christmas to be over. I said, okay, Scrooge, I'm <laughs> uh, Grinch. I don't know what character I thought of, but I thought of some character. And I, I kind of chuckled to myself, and I said, why are you ready for Christmas to be over? And she said, I unexpectedly lost my mom and nephew this year. And I asked, I was like, oh, Father, forgive me for <laughs> calling her that. Um, and I just asked her, and she just said that literally from one week to the next, her mother got sick, and then about a month later, she passed. For those who have gone through tragedy, Christmas is a reminder of what was lost. I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say, because I'm about to say some things that may not make sense. Christmas is a reminder of what was lost. I didn't say who. I said what, because when you lost someone, you didn't just lose a what, a who, you lost a what. I'm not trying to be Dr. Seuss. I do not like green eggs and ham. Sam, I am. I do not like them there. I do not like them here. I do not like them anywhere. But when, you, when we lose someone, we don't just lose a who or a person. We actually lose a what. Why do I say that? Because ultimately, a, those people who are who's in our lives represent a what in our lives. When a loved one passes, we all not only lose a person, we lose what they represent. Love, friendship, accountability, companionship, security, mothers and fathers, purpose for y'all that have tragically lost sons or daughters. 
when we lose a loved one, we lose what they represent. This is what is hard about losing someone, losing what they meant to us. When someone we don't know passes away, maybe somebody across the street, maybe we were uh, watching the news or reading the news and we hear about somebody who died in a, in a horrible car accident, but we don't know them, it doesn't affect us the same way that someone who is a loved one passing affects us. We could even, even relatives that we don't see very often, they may be our blood kin, blood family, but because we're not close to them, it doesn't hit us as much as when we lose a loved one. It's different. Why am I spending so much time making, I think, maybe an obvious point? It's because this is where the enemy comes in and takes so many people captive. I hope you listen just for the next few minutes. I'm about to finish. This is where the enemy comes in in the middle of tragedy and takes people captive. The reason we dread certain birthdays, holidays, anniversaries is because of the lost love from a loved one and we're not going to get it from them this holiday season or any season in the future. This is what we dread. Not that it's just, yes, we love them, but it's what they represent, what we were able to give them, what we were able to receive from them. And when we don't feel love... We feel alone. I can prove this to you very simply. Married people, you ever been lying next to somebody you, lo- you fell out of love with? What, what feeling do you feel? Alone. You can be as close in proximity to them as anyone else, but if there is lost love, then you feel alone. That's why when we lose people, we're not just losing a person, we're losing what they represent. We mourn and feel alone year after year because love has been lost forever. We tell ourselves, I may have other people in my life that I love that are still around, but that one little place in my heart, I'll never get love in that place again. This is where the enemy comes in. He doesn't, he's not dumb. He doesn't try to convince us that we'll never have love again because he knows we still have other loved ones who are living with us. He's not stupid. Even though he has convinced, tragically, some people to give up completely on life just because one person has passed. But most people, he'll say, hey, you, you'll still have these other people to love, but that little place in your heart, it'll never be filled again because that person is never coming back. And because he has us believe that lie, he keeps us crippled. We may not be completely disabled, but he keeps us crippled. And if, but if we allow that lie to stay there, it begins to grow and it begins to affect other relationships in our lives. And you may have lost a child, but if you allow that seed to grow, you'll forget that you have other children, that you have other loved ones. Before you know it, it begins to affect your health, your physical health. He's not dumb. He doesn't make us believe the entire thing, but if we allow him to come in a little bit, begins to affect everything. Listen, this is the truth. Here's the truth. You will not, if someone you love has passed, you won't see them again until heaven if they knew the Lord. That is true. But here's the lie. The lie is that that place will never be filled again. That is the lie the enemy wants you to believe. What does the word say? Psalm 147, verse 2. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. Verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. This is what the Lord does. He heals hearts that are broken. 
and, he, and binds them up. Limitations 3, this is written by Jeremiah, and, and the whole book really is just a, a book of, of, of lamentation, of sorrow. And he says this, and, I, and for you, that I, I, I just feel like this message is geared for people who have, are hurting or broken and have lost loved ones or lost things in their lives. And the Lord wants to mend that brokenhearted. But I want you to listen to these few verses and see if you can identify. Verse 16, talking about the enemy. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace, meaning it is without peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. I don't know who I'm talking to, but there are some people who have said, I have forgotten what peace has felt like. I have forgotten what joy has felt like. And he says, so I say my endurance has perished. I said, I have no more energy to go on. So has my hope from the Lord. I even begin to doubt that God sees me. Verse 21, but this I call to mind. I remember, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. They are new. Listen, this is for somebody. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, my soul says. Therefore, I will hope in him. Not the person who has gone on to be with you. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, the Lord is to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Psalm 63, 3, because, listen to this, because your steadfast love is better than life. Listen to what I'm about to say. Because, God, your steadfast love is better than my mother's love. Because your steadfast love is better than my father's love. Because your steadfast love is better than the love that I lost when my loved one passed away. My lips will praise you. This is a verse that we cannot just say, but we can mean from the depths of our soul. Because church, his love is better than life. His love can fill every broken part in our heart. Verse 5, my soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Listen, we are never alone because Jesus is always with us. His love can, can and will always fill us and satisfy us. I understand that losing a loved one, I, I hope you, I want you to hear my heart. I'm not saying that we shouldn't mourn. I'm not saying there shouldn't be a period of wrestling with the Lord about why tragedy has happened. That's very human. That's very natural. And there is grace for that. But the, there is a different thing when the enemy takes us captive Christmas after Christmas after holiday and year after year. There are some people that will not be set free because they never have an encounter with Jesus, because they never took advantage or never took Jesus seriously, that will live crippled in their heart for the rest of their life, the rest of their life, because of a lie. I may have other people in my life, but there's this one part of my heart that will never be filled again. It's a lie. Because Jesus came to heal and bind up the brokenhearted. And his steadfast love can fill every hole in our heart.